Hello and welcome to the Spectator Books Podcast. I'm Sam Leith, literary editor of The Spectator, and this week I'm joined by somebody who's senior to me in experience, both as a literary editor and by miles as a broadcaster. It's Harriet Gilbert, who is, for I think almost everyone around the world, you could say, to mix a metaphor, the face of books on BBC Radio. And it's this week, the 15th anniversary of World Book Club, a show that goes out worldwide on the World Service, and that Harriet has presented since the very first edition. Harriet, welcome. Now, to start, how did a nice lady like you get involved in a book club like this? What, what was the origins? Was it your idea, or did they come to you with it? It wasn't my idea at all. I was presenting a weekly magazine programme for the World Service, a literary programme, author interviews, reviews, that sort of thing. And somebody in World Service News, oddly, came up with the idea at one of those brainstorming sessions, like, why doesn't the World Service have a book club like the one on Radio 4, the one that James Nocte presents, which is very successful and continues to be. And I thought, when I was asked if I'd present it, I haven't got a hope of making this work, because unlike the Radio 4 one, you need to find authors who've got an international reputation. I mean, obviously, many do on Radio 4. These ones had to have. And they had to be able to speak English, and they had to be available, i.e. coming to England, and you had to get an audience from around the world to ask them questions. But thanks, I have to say, to the perseverance and ingenuity of the producers, we managed, and here we are, 15 years later. Once these things get their own momentum, you'll get the questions and you'll get the authors and so on, but particularly before the internet was really up and running in a very serious way... How did you solicit the questions for the very first one? I mean, did you have to sort of write to people and say, we've got Alice Walker coming in, can you think uh, of a Well, the internet did sort of exist 15 years ago, but yes, you're right, people used to write in questions by letter. You know, we used to give out the postal address. It was, well, largely it was through, it was through the internet and it was through on the back of each recording saying, hey, next month we've got coming up, do send us questions. And it was monstrously difficult to begin with. But yes, it's got easier and easier, of course. And you, it was Alice Walker you started with, is that right? No, I started, with, oh, started 15, we started 15 years ago with Garrison Keeler, American humorous writer up in, at the Edinburgh yeah, the Festival. Yeah, days guy. And so you did that in uh, the festival, so you had a sort of live audience who e- exactly, were all Exactly, and he was very naughty because I foolishly at some point got the Good Samaritan muddled up with the prodigal son. I don't know how, but anyway, I did. And in order that the producer couldn't cut my mistake out, he would frequently refer to the prodigal Samaritan throughout, which the audience, of course, thought was hilarious. And part of me thought was quite funny, but most of me thought, (laughs) I know what you're doing, I know what you're doing. (laughs) Another radio veteran just making life impossible for you. And how, I mean, one of the things that the show does is it asks writers particularly to address their own kind of greatest hit. Normally, doesn't it? It's yeah. the big book. It's yeah. you get, I don't know, Martin Amos do money or whatever. I mean, do some of the writers sort of cavil a bit if they've written, you know, 10 or 15 books since, and you say, no, you know, yes, Bretty Snellis, we want you to talk about American Psycho or Less Than Zero. If so, they do it quietly to their publicist. They seem not to. Sometimes they've had to reread the book because if, if their greatest hit happened to be rather a long time ago, they can't remember it. No, I don't think they do mind. In fact, I think in a way 
they're quite happy not to be on the treadmill just talking about their newest publication because if they're from outside the UK and they're over here on a publicity tour, it's sometimes a break to be going back 20 years, you know, talking about the, the great hit. I think if somebody, a question rather implies they haven't written anything good since, you occasionally feel them bristle a bit, but uh, otherwise, no. Weed those out. Do, do they get sight of any of the questions in advance, or is it...? No, the only time we've done that was with a French author who was very insecure about her English, and we certainly told her most of the questions. But actually, we don't know what's coming from the audience. We only know the ones that have been emailed in or that people have rung in. Do you, do you occasionally get dazzlingly rude questions from the audience. I mean, I, I was doing, <laughs> having chaired at festivals quite a lot. Sometimes you just get this completely bonkers question. Well, you get, what you get is questions that you would never ask as a journalist. Way back, I remember Hanif Qureshi was talking about the Buddha of suburbia, which is very much about a boy and his father. And one woman in the audience said, well, you know, there isn't much about the mother in this book. And the journalist in me was thinking, it's not a book about mothers, but Hanif Qureshi made some kind of uh, non-committal answer. It, this got picked up by other women in the audience who said, yes, actually, I agree, there should have been more about the mother. And it was quite interesting because he then gave an answer about how at the age when he'd written that book as a very young man, he just didn't understand his mother. He had a good sense of where his father was coming from. And it was just a brilliant answer. And he also sort of announced that he was just writing the script for the film, The Mother, which was shortly to come out. And you do get things like that where you think, I would never have asked it, but you can thank goodness somebody did. Get to it, exactly. And there's a mix of authors you've had. I mean, you, you know, you've got it's kind of extraordinarily... <laughs> You know, it's sort of zinks between kind of Nobel laureates and, you know, crime writers. And is there a sort of conscious, we need to make it as diverse as possible in genre and in style, or what's... Yeah, absolutely, so that you'll get, you know, Toni Morrison, Geoffrey Archer, P.D. James, V.S. Naipaul. I mean, it's, it is quite deliberately that. I mean, we try to get as wide a range of nationalities as possible, although that's not easy because... A lot of Europe doesn't speak, or the writers refuse to speak English unless they're Scandinavian, in which case they're quite happy. <laughs> so genre, we very much try to get a mix of that. So a bit of science fiction, which is not my favourite, but not. No, I was going to say, do you have much, oh, I mean, presumably you have some input, but do you get a sort of whip hand in any sense on who you get to invite? I can think of one or two people I really would protest strongly about but no not not at all and anyway it would be ridiculous if they were only the, the sorts of writers I enjoy which is you know quite a varied range but it's not that varied it doesn't include fantasy for instance and a lot of people like enjoy fantasy yeah have you had George R. R. Martin in he's the man no moment, no isn't not, he? you know. not though we obviously should actually there, there are so many writers I'd still like to get Philip Roth we've been trying to for Forever. Oh. That's probably too late. I don't does, he not, does he not come out to play? I mean, I suppose now he doesn't. No, very, very reluctantly. Very reluctantly. In any way, I've heard interviews with him, and by and large, you hear a lot more of the interviewer than no. of him. You know, he says yes. No. no. Yes, you don't want that anyway, do you? <laughs> do you think the book club format, I mean, it seems to me that it's something that has, you know, it's, it's all over the world now, in the same way that literary festivals that used to be, you know, there used to be one or two, and now every hamlet has a literary festival. And similarly, book clubs, you know, publishers now publish books with notes at the back saying, you know, questions you can ask your book club. I, I mean, know, weird. Obviously, the Radio 4 one started, but do you think that's diffused through these radio formats? Or do you think it's something that's just sort of taken on its own? I've no life? idea why it continues to be so fascinating to people, because... You'd think it would have died out the interesting in just hearing an author talk about their work, but it doesn't seem to have. I think 
I mean, I, I, you know, I go to festivals as well, and queues there are always. And I really don't know what that is. I think one thing which sort of small reading groups do, and which the World Book Club does as well, is that books do allow you to talk about things other than literature, oddly enough. So you'll get somebody like... Um, Karl-Uwe Knausgaard coming to talk about a death in the family and that gave rise to a very interesting discussion. Somebody, you ask about rude questions, somebody in the audience asked him whether he thought he was any better as a father than the absolutely appalling father in the book, his father. And he said, well, he very much feared he wasn't. And so a discussion arises therefore about parenthood and about being a father and a writer and things like that. And Marion Keyes, Irish writer Marion Keyes, yeah. talking about her depression remarkably openly. So people in the audience talk about that, and I think that's in large part the appeal of small book clubs, where it obviously goes further because people know each other better. Yeah, but there's a, I mean, do you think the literary landscape has to change? Because people for the last 15 or 20 years have been saying that books are doomed because of <laughs> the internet, because of video games, more and more of them are being published, but they're being read slightly differently, aren't they? Well, do you think so? I'm not sure. Well, I think they're being... In what way would you think they're being read differently? Well, in the sense that it used to be quite a solitary activity, and now, you know, so much of the way the discussion around books is is social, not only social yeah. media, but is yeah. in this sort of format. Yeah. Or... I think that's true. I think the initial reading probably is very similar to what it always was. I mean, either a way of understanding the world better or a way of escaping from the world or just a way of passing time on long train journeys. But you're right that there is this extra dimension now. Of, I mean, whether it's people on social media saying, I've just read this amazing book, you must read it, or reading groups. Sort of recommendations, yeah. yeah. Now, for your own kind of background, when we first met, I remember you saying that you started out actually as an actor, which seemed to me to a modest way of underselling your literary credentials. I mean, you're a published novelist yourself. You've, your father was a writer. So... Can you tell me a bit about how you came to be doing what you're doing? I mean, you know, you were an actor for a bit. What I was an actor very briefly, extremely unsuccessfully, and more successfully for quite a few years I was a published novelist. But there came a time when the sort of mid-list authors that I was, which is to say the publishers didn't lose money on me, but they didn't really make a vast fortune, we, it became much harder to find a home. And I think... And I had a novel turned down, which was somewhat shock to my ego. But I think simultaneously I kind of come to the end of what I wanted to say. That that sounds a bit pretentious, but I realised that I hadn't got the will or the energy to do the rewrites, which would have been quite massive, that the publishers wanted on this novel, and which I suspected they were right to want. And I started doing some book reviewing off the back of being a published author. And I just drifted... At first, sort of telling myself this wasn't permanent, and then gradually realising it was into journalism, and then into broadcasting off the back of being a literary journalist. The the BBC World Service was looking for somebody with a... Actually, to tell you the truth, I'm the victim or the beneficiary of of positive sexual discrimination. They wanted a woman's voice on one of their programmes, one of their arts programmes. And voila. And do you miss writing fiction? I mean, it's... No. Uh, No. I don't. So was it was it an ambition rather than a compulsion when you were writing, or was it something you felt you needed to do? I think, well, my father wrote, my grandmother wrote, my 
wicked grandfather was a poet and playwright and ran off with somebody, leaving my grandmother with four children. Um, anyway, <laughs> Poets are not to be trusted, as we all know poets, that. Poets are absolutely not to be trusted. In fact, my father, off the back of that, if you ever implied that he was an artist of some sort, got really, really snarky. He said, I write for money and that's it. And I know that partly this was because his, grand, his father... You know, used being an artist as an excuse for everything. Anyway, that is a digression. So I, th- I think the thing is, it was something that didn't seem madly ambitious or weird to do, to start writing fiction. And I did enjoy it. And But no, it wasn't a compulsion. It was something that was fun and that I was quite good at. But I wasn't, I really wasn't driven enough to keep doing it when the obstacles became too much. Oh, well, this is something I mean, Colin Tobin always says, you know, it's agony, I hate doing it, I hate writing. Some people are like that. But a, lot of write, a lot of writers do think that and they carry on and you think, mm, you've only got one life, but maybe the pleasure of having done it you know, outweighs the, the distress of doing it. Is radio pleasure for you normally? Radio is almost total pleasure, yeah. And when you, I mean, a lot of your reading is kind of prescribed... Yes. Isn't it? I mean, you're, you know, a good read means that every, every week or two you're plonked with two or three new books that someone else has chosen for you. You've got to research, you know, the World Book Club. Left to your own devices, what would you be reading? I would be reading crime fiction a lot. That's my comfort read. And I would be rereading Auburn War, Muriel Spark. Some of those, actually, they're all Catholic converts, I think, <laughs> with a, a rather dark sense of humour, the people I like. Graham Greene. So sort of... Another, <laughs> I don't know why, any notice... There's a theme emerging, sort of prickly <laughs> comedies of manners and Catholic converts yep. and all that, you know. And I'd be reading a lot more new fiction. I mean, I don't get to read that much new fiction now. Well, I suppose World Book Club makes you do the classics, doesn't it? All That's that. got to be the classics, and people on a good read tend to choose... Well, you usually choose a book that's a few years old, at least, because it's you know their favourite book ever. It's unlikely to have been their most recent read. And you've said crime is your your go-to comfort. What which crime writers do you like to read? I mean, well, I read a lot of golden age crime fiction. You know, sort of Marjorie Allingham is my favourite of all. But I also read more recently. I'm just trying to think who Mick Heron who writes these so, brilliantly funny... They're not crime fiction, they're thrillers, but they're just... They're sort of spy novels, aren't they? They're spy novels, but they are... Cashiered, failed spies. <laughs> yeah, kind of. failed spies with an awful, really horrendous boss, Lamb, he's called. I like humour in crime fiction, actually, in pastiche crime fiction as well. I enjoy it. Oh, well, well, do you think if you ever did take up your pen again, you might step out of literary fiction and just write crime, keep you in your old age? Ah, uh, yes. Well, I used to teach journalism, and I'm counting on my students to keep me in my old age. I keep telling them, I used to tell them, get very rich and successful and then keep me. (laughs) Well, let's hope they do. And I should just ask, what's this week's World Book Club? Who's the the author? This this week's is Sebastian Barry, the Irish novelist, talking about the secret scripture, which is uh, actually a sort of almost unbearably sad book that just very deftly swerves away from being unbearably sad the whole time through. I think it's very clever. Very good. Harriet Gilbert, thank you very much. 